You know, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies. It sounds nice when you're reading it from the pages of the Bible, maybe sitting in your living room, but it's a lot tougher when you have to live it out. That's what Dan Bauman discovered while in prison in Iran for his faith in Christ. One of the guards at the prison was especially cruel. And it was the very first day when he was beating me. And again, there was no real sense of a reason why or a reason what was going on. And yet, on that day, I felt like God speak to my heart as he was beating me that, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are in our studio in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and we have a very special privilege this week on VOM Radio. We're going to be talking with Dan Bauman. Dan is a gospel worker with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. He's also the author of several books, one of which is called Cell 58, originally published under the title Imprisoned in Iran. He has two other books, A Beautiful Way, An Invitation to a Jesus-Centered Life, and A Fresh Look at Fear, Encountering Jesus in Our Weakness. Dan has an amazing story of being arrested in Iran, being imprisoned there, and even in prison, finding God's faithfulness, finding God's power. Dan, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Dan, let's let's talk about how you ended up in prison in Iran. What were you doing going to Iran? Well, I actually had lived for 10 years in Afghanistan when I actually moved. Um, and as you begin to know that part of the world, obviously there are neighboring nations, and it was one of those. Turkmenistan used to be a part of the Soviet Union, and since the early 90s became a nation, and it was there that I felt this tug to move to. Uh, the capital city, Ashgabat, very much a um, predominantly Muslim nation, and I went there very much the same kind of heart as I went to Afghanistan, even though there wasn't a job that I could jump into. So I went there as a student, and it was there as a student that within the first few months, another friend from South Africa who was also a language student, we were sitting together playing tennis one day and afterwards thought, what are we going to do over Christmas? We each had two weeks off, <laughs> and we started praying, and I thought, well, why don't we go to Iran? We're actually on the Iranian border. We were also becoming aware of the Iranian landscape where so much of Iran is actually not the predominant uh, Persian speakers. And there's minority groups. And one of the northeast in the country is actual Turkmen, the same as Turkmenistan. And at that stage, we knew of about one and a half million that had never heard the name of Jesus. And so it was our heart to go in there, maybe start business opportunities, open doors, so future Turkmen followers of Jesus could go in and share their faith. And that was all connected why we applied. My dad is Swiss. I'm American Swiss. 
So I have two citizenships and I was able to use my Swiss passport to get a visa. My friend would use his South African and we got two week visas and I fell in love with Iran. Wonderful people. They were so curious why we were there. We went to restaurants and to hotels and they would come up to us and ask if we spoke English. And from that, they wanted to know more. We were able to talk very freely about our faith every night as they came to us and talked to us. And they were just a lot of hunger. And there was so much hunger. And we just had a great time eating their food, enjoying their hospitality, getting to know them. Yeah, we fell in love with the country. So your two-week visa is up. You're ready to head back to Turkmenistan. When did you know that things weren't going to go according to plan? It was on a local bus crossing the border back into Turkmenistan when they took our passports at the border. And typically, they would take them, stamp them, give them back. But for us, we never got them back. We waited, waited. There were about 15 locals that were on the bus that got their passports back. They were back on the bus. And finally, the bus driver came to us and said, are you guys coming? And I'm like, yeah, we're coming. Yeah, we're just waiting for our passports. And it was about an hour later that they actually had to leave. And we kept waiting. And it was about six hours later that they came to us, the authorities, and said, yes, we've taken your passport, send them to the capital city, which is Tehran, which is about 15 hours away by bus. We're like, why? What's the reason? What's the problem? We thought we had the right visas. They said, sorry, no, you didn't. We don't know exactly. But if you want to get your passports back, here's the place to go. And they gave us an address. In Tehran in Tehran that we had to go to. And without any explanation why, that was our situation. I do a lot of traveling, so having the visa is, yeah, you have to do it, but we had done it the right way, as far as we knew. So why was this happening, and what does this really mean? But what could we do except to follow through um, on this situation? And... I had heard many stories in life where people have had a visa problem. They get it sorted through a meeting, through a small payment. So that was in my heart. Like, oh, that's what's going to happen. It'll be a short visit. I might have to pay a little money, but it's all good. We're going to get our passports back and be on our way. So you head back to Tehran. You go to the office where you're supposed to go to, quote, pick up your passports. And what happened? As we walked in... We were met kindly by people, and they said, oh, we've been waiting for you, and we'd like to talk to you privately. And that's when they take my friend to one room, and they take me up these stairs to another room. And it was then that they closed the door and began to beat me for about five, six hours, beating me in the face, yelling at me, screaming at me. I speak the Iranian language, very much the same language as Afghanistan, where I lived and worked dialect difference, but very similar. So what were they asking? Uh, What did they think you were that that you needed to be beaten? They just thought I was lying about everything, including my Swiss citizenship, that I was actually just an American, not a Swiss. They thought about my Christian things, like how can you talk about Jesus? Don't you know we're a Muslim nation? Don't you know we don't allow that you do what you do? 
And they were even making things up. And so they were probably told, just yell at these guys, don't answer their questions. And I was, it was very vague. There was no clear explanation why it was happening, clear explanation what was going on. So you've gone from thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Tehran, probably going to pay somebody a little bit of gift money, and then they're going to give me my passport and I'm going to be out of here, to now you're locked in a room and someone's beating on you. So now what's going on in, in your heart and in your spirit? Oh, yeah. Total fear, you know, total anxiety. Yeah. What I've lived in that part of the world. And so uh, what I've heard from others in terms of a situation where you've got a problem, you go in, you deal with it, you get on your way. One or, you know, two hours max. No beatings for sure. And so there was something very different. And then that led towards when we were blindfolded, brought back together, thrown into a van, taken to another building. And then it was 100% real, like we are getting imprisoned, like this is real. Did you sense God in any of this? Did, did he say anything? Was there any verses or stories or encouragement that came to your mind? Or was it just that panic feeling of this is going very wrong? I don't have any idea how bad this is going to get. You know, I am probably not that strong a Christian. I don't know. But yeah, it was the panic. It took over. And yeah, later on in my story, there were moments of seeing the goodness of God. But in the beginning, it was all panic. And I was shaking the whole time. Very, very nervous. Um, yeah, using the restroom every 15 minutes. Yeah, whatever panic does to us, it was on me. How or when did you kind of get past that just utter fear? Well, again, it was uh, the grace of God. When we were finally taken to the other building, when we had all our clothes taken away, glasses, watch, everything, put into prison clothes, that's when we were led down these stairs and separated. And that's when it got really real, like we're really in prison as they put me in one cell and my friend into another one. And from the very beginning, the goodness of God came to my heart where I felt like God speak to my heart. And again, you know, we receive impressions or the sense of leading in different ways as we walk with God around the world. But that day was very specific. Uh, I felt these words come to my heart. You're going to be here for nine weeks. But as I grew up, and you know, you'd, I grew up in a situation where hearing God's voice or a sense of God's leading was very volatile. You didn't know. You weren't always sure. So that was definitely not God because nine weeks, no, I don't want nine that. Nine weeks is a long time. But I'll never forget, it was nine weeks to the minute Wow. later that I was actually released and that was God's way in the very beginning of my incarceration to let me know I am with you and I do understand. And I have a plan. I've already planned this whole thing out. <laughs> you just walk through it. Yeah, yeah. You just walk through it. And of course, I, I didn't understand, but yeah, that God was with me. I want to talk about some of the low points. And I know you write in your book about the day that you decided, you know what? I'm done. I just want to get out of this planet and go somewhere else. Tell me about how you got to that point, uh, and then tell me 
What happened after that? Throughout those beginning days, I was beaten almost every day. And the reality of the fact that there wasn't any clear definition why I was there and how long I would be there, what exactly was I there for, this was all vague. And so with that came, yeah, just depression that maybe I'm going to be there a while. And I had very regularly at least a moment of every day thinking, okay, today I'm out, today I'm free, today I'm going to get out of here. And then at the end of the day, I realized, oh, it's not true. And so that kind of settled deeper and deeper and deeper in my life that I might never get out. Their hope was leaving me. And it was at that point, about two and a half weeks in, that I hit the lowest point of my entire life. And I woke up one day, and I had heard a rumor by a couple guards. Again, it was still in the rumor stage because nothing was definite. But one of the guards had said to somebody else that I would be there for at least nine months. And then there were other rumors about the extension of me actually being there for years and years. And this hit me this one day, and I was just done. Like, Dan, get real. You're going to be here forever. Like, why are you here? And from that came this thought, why spend the rest of my life here? And in my room, I had an idea. There was a sink. It had brackets connecting the sink to the wall, places on the brackets where you could tie something, and they had given me a big towel. And I thought, if I plug it with my sock, I could fill it with water. And then if I stick my head fully underneath the water... I could tie a towel on one end, take the towel over my head, and then tie it really tight on the other end, pressing my head down in the water, being fully immersed. And I thought to myself, if I tie it really, really tight, then six, seven minutes from now, I'm actually done, like I'm gone. And I thought to myself, this will work. I can get out of here. And four times I tried. And every time I tried, I was too scared. I was too scared to tie the other side of the towel tight. So when I would try, I would loosen it or and be able to jerk my head out because I was too scared. And I'll never forget the last time I tried. Again, I tried. Again, I couldn't do it. And I would jerk my head out. And it was on that fourth time that my heart broke. And I fell to the ground if I was ever weak. I knew it at that moment. If I was ever broken, if I was ever aware of my shame, I just lied in that floor just feeling terrible. Like, how could I do this? How could I try to kill myself? How could I try to end my life? Like, this is crazy. And yet, in my broken state, I felt something, and the room starts to shake. As it starts to shake, I lifted my head from the floor, I had the normal lighting from the light bulb, but there was something very different. The room was a glorious white light. That's all how I can describe it. And then I had a vision. I've had a few visions in my life, and this one was really clear. It was Jesus standing in front of me. Like we might have seen in movies or on books, it was the same picture of Jesus standing in front of me But what I saw was his face, which was filled with love, kindness, caring. 
And then I felt his hands come underneath me, and I felt like God speak right to my heart the most loving words. Dan, I love you, and I promise I'll carry you through this time. And from that day until today, I have never had those thoughts again. Because in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of me having nothing, God was still good, and he met me, and he gave me hope. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dan Bauman. He is the author of a book called Cell 58. And Dan, I want to read just a, just a paragraph from the book because I think this is really interesting, and I want, I want you to share kind of some behind the scenes about it. But it starts out, following the suicide attempt, I felt a closeness with God that I had not experienced in prison up until that time. I had a new joy and certainty in my heart, and I sensed a new expectation inside that I couldn't explain. How do you... Do you have more of an explanation now, the fact that you've just hit this lowest, lowest point that you could possibly hit, and now you come out of that into a a new sense of God's presence and a new awareness of how real he is? Yeah, throughout my life, I've gotten so excited about not only God, but out of that came the privilege to serve God and do something for God. And all of us in different ways and levels get to live that out. And yet, in the back of my mind, I thought, okay, I have that going on, but there are definitely limits. There is definitely things I cannot do, should never do, that is as if I'm crossing a line. And at that point, for sure, a suicide attempt was crossing the line. Like, there's no return. God would never still accept me. God would never still love me. God would never still want me. Like there was a love of God for sure, but there were lines that you can't cross. And yet, after I had crossed that line, you know, the unforgivable sin, so to speak, the one thing you should never do, yet at that moment, he still loved me and he proved it. He still cared for me. That's why joy came back, because I thought I had passed the limit. But there wasn't a limit. Like, he still was for me and with me. And, yeah, it changed my life. God taught you some things in prison about loving our enemies. We have a hard time with this in our culture right now. (laughs) Some of us have a hard time loving our friends. (laughs) What did he teach you, and how how did that become real, what it means to love our enemies? Yeah, there were a few things that Jesus taught me that were so significant. And I'll never forget the first day that I was taken, I was beaten by a man that would end up being the only man that would beat me every day. And so I just call him my interrogator. And it was the very first day when he was beating me. And again, there was no real sense of a reason why or a reason what was going on. And yet, On that day, I felt like God speak to my heart as he was beating me that, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. (laughs) And I remember thinking, not now. Thank you. Because the reality was there was complete injustice of the moment as far as politics go. I should see an embassy. I should have justices read to me. 
why he was beating me was unknown. It was very much just a shady situation. What about my rights? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it was my rights were being violated. My rights were being taken away without any real reason. And so, yeah, love him. No, 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 no. I'll love other guys, but not this guy. And that's when I felt it strong again and again. Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. And I'll never forget when I was complaining almost to God, like, I can't do that. No way. This is too much not going to happen now. That I felt like God challenged me with another question, a statement. Dan, ask me what I think of him. And in that simple words came the reality that God changed the subject. And I love when God changes the subject. Because life was all about me. And yet at that same moment, there was something else going on. And that was what God thought and what God, how he cared for that man. So I stopped and I'm like, okay, God. I don't understand, but what do you think of this man? And the love of God hit my heart. The love of God filled my heart. I began to realize that God did love this man, that he loved him forever. He loved this man. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. There was just one challenge, and it was that that man didn't know it. And the love of God hit my heart. While this guy's beating you. While he's beating me, yeah. And so it was... Yeah, this change of subject. Yes, I'm feeling terrible while he's beating me. But yet at that moment, taking a second to say, God, what is on your mind? What is on your heart for this man? And that's when it overwhelmed me. And so though I was being beaten and though I was so, yeah, in a way angry and upset, yet this revelation in my heart that God did love him arrested my heart, so to speak. And I remember looking up to God, and this would happen over the period of weeks, saying the same thing over and over again, God, change my heart. God, change my heart. Make me more like you, because I'm not there. (laughs) And all I can say is all glory to Jesus, but over the coming weeks, he did change my heart. I kept getting beaten. I kept having these unexplainable moments where he would hit me without any clear reason, my rights being completely violated. But my heart got arrested by God's love for this man more than that. And that was a growing sensation, reality in my mind and heart. And so I tried to step out in it saying, God, help me love him. Help me care for him. And something grew to where I started to actually care for him and care for him more and try to love him and try to speak well of him. And again, that's all glory to God because that wasn't my initial experience, but God changed my heart over time where I could look at him through the lens of what God thought of him, not through the lens of what was happening. That's Dan Bauman telling us an amazing story of God's power to change our hearts and do something inside of us that seems impossible. Thankfully, most of us won't ever be in prison in Iran, but all of us are going to feel injustice, like we're being treated unfairly, or someone else doesn't care or understand our point of view. Just like the Holy Spirit gave Dan Bauman the ability to love He can do the same thing for us, whatever enemies we may be dealing with today.
Dan is a gospel worker with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and the author of a book called Cell 58, which tells the story of his imprisonment in Iran. I highly recommend the book to you. We'll give you a link to that book when you visit our website, vomradio.net. That's also where you'll find other stories like Dan's. These are stories that will help prepare your heart for persecution should you ever face that. But even if you don't face persecution, these stories help us to keep a godly perspective for the day-to-day challenges that we do face. Again, visit vomradio.net. Listen to past episodes of VOM Radio. You can also listen on the VOM Radio podcast stream. Today, we've heard the first half of my conversation with Dan Bauman. You won't want to miss part two next week. Come back and hear more of how God was with Dan in prison and how he was released right on schedule. That's next time right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.